Trigger warning. This podcast episode contains mentions of emotional and narcissistic abuse, as well as suicide. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Emotional Abuse is Real. I'm your host, Serene Leeds, and I'm so glad you're here. You guys, this is our 20th episode. I still can't believe that I'm saying that out loud. But as always, I just want to thank everyone who has listened, subscribed, rated, and reviewed this podcast so far, as well as the kind folks who have personally reached out to let me know how grateful they are that this podcast exists. I'm so honored to know that I am making an impact with Emotional Abuse is Real. However, this podcast still needs your support, and there are several ways you can do that. First of all, if you're a listener and you've been mulling over sharing your story, please don't hesitate to reach out via Instagram at Serene Leads Writes, that's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S-W-R-I-T-E-S, or via our Emotional Abuse is Real Facebook page or via email. My email address is hello at sereneleads.com. A reminder that anonymous guests are always welcome. And if you are a mental health professional who would like to offer your clinical insights, I would love to feature you on the podcast as well. This also goes for those of you out there who are listening who happen to be a coach. Another way you can support Emotional Abuse is Real is by heading over to Apple Podcasts and both leaving a rating and writing a review. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find this podcast. Finally, you can support the podcast by following me on Instagram at Serene Leads Rights and our Facebook page, Emotional Abuse is Real. And if you are able, please consider donating to our Buy Me a Coffee page, which I've linked in the show notes. As I've said before, this is a one-woman operation, and your donations help fund the podcast's production costs. I'd also like to remind you about my free newsletter. This is a great opportunity to stay up to date on my latest published articles, as well as new podcast episodes. Also, it's a wonderful way to stay in touch with me directly, especially if you are a business owner looking to punch up your website, email, or social media copy. In addition to all of my other writing and communications work, I am available to work with you on any writing or editing help you may need with your business copy. Plus, as an added bonus, I send out a free delicious dessert recipe to every new subscriber. I've left the sign-up link in the show notes, and you can also subscribe directly via my website, sereneleads.com. On today's episode, I'm going to talk a little more about my own emotional abuse experience. If you aren't familiar with my story, please press pause on this episode and go back and listen to the very first episode of Emotional Abuse is Real. I know I've dropped a few nuggets about my emotional abuse story throughout different episodes, but I wanted to share how my abuser's behavior went beyond textbook emotional and narcissistic abuse. What was so nefarious about this guy's toxic behavior was that it never went beyond the nebulous, quote, gray area, unquote. 
which is why it was so difficult for anyone to hold him accountable for his actions. Before we get into my story, please know that I understand the content on this podcast may be difficult for many of you. I've spoken to several people who want to listen to this podcast and who do want to share their stories, but they just don't feel ready to do either yet. I'm here to tell you that I completely understand your decision. As I've done on previous episodes, I am more than happy to narrate your story if you don't feel comfortable appearing on the podcast. Also, please know that it's taken me nearly a decade after my own emotional abuse experience to be able to talk about it so openly. I'm always happy to chat with you over Instagram DM, the podcast Facebook page, or via email. So, without further ado, here are some more thoughts on my own emotional abuse experience. Believe it or not, I'm actually coming up on the nine-year anniversary of my decision to leave Rolling Stone. It was the early morning of August 12, 2014, my 37th birthday. I was sitting on the porch of this delightful bed and breakfast my husband and I frequent up in New Paltz, New York. And as I gazed out at this picture-perfect bucolic morning, my celebratory mood was dampened by the previous evening's news. Robin Williams had died by suicide. It was at that moment I realized it was no longer worth pushing myself to stay in an untenable work situation. It was a work situation that was making me miserable and was depriving me of any sort of joy in my life. While I can't say working at Rolling Stone made me suicidal, I just knew I didn't want to end up like Robin Williams, someone who had everything, but who was still desperately unhappy. For the record, we didn't know at the time that Williams' suicide was the result of his Parkinson's diagnosis. Interestingly enough, it was also Robin Williams' death that triggered the moment I stood up to my emotionally abusive boss once and for all and set me on my path toward resigning from Rolling Stone. In my first ever podcast episode, I mentioned that my boss gave me a, quote, late night haranguing, unquote, but I didn't go further into detail other than to mention the insensitive coworker who, quote, wasn't getting involved, unquote. So here's what happened. It was around 11 o'clock at night, a week or two after Robin Williams's death, and we were closing the print issue featuring a cover story tribute to the Academy Award winning actor. I was responsible for copy editing the Williams feature. For whatever reason, my boss did indeed start berating me because he didn't like how I handled something. It was so long ago that I don't even remember what it was. All I know is I was trying to give the copy one final look, and he stormed over to repeat that I did something wrong. This had to be like the fifth time he had said it, and I had proceeded to ignore him because he was slowly losing it. In all honesty, I hadn't done anything wrong. This guy would regularly make up problems whenever he felt intimidated by a subordinate who was better at his job. Finally, unable to concentrate, I turned around and yelled at him to let it go. The man was shocked. 
He literally couldn't believe that one of his subordinates was standing up to him in such a way. I just kept repeating, I heard you, let it go, because all I wanted was to get the work done and to go home. My boss then started acting like a parental figure, warning me that I was, quote, in serious trouble, unquote. It took everything I had to not spit back, ah, what are you going to do, dad, send me to my room? Because that's what it felt like. By the time we had both calmed down and the Robin Williams issue had been put to bed, I felt incredible. And I knew that my resignation from the company was imminent, if my boss didn't fire me beforehand. While I was wrapping things up, I remember I was making copies of the final stories. And my boss stopped on his way home to remark several times about how the incident that had occurred was, quote, unfortunate, unquote. He just kept standing there in the Xerox room while I remained silent. I knew he was waiting for me to apologize, but that apology never came. Over the next few weeks, I spoke to my boss as little as possible while I clandestinely made arrangements to begin freelance writing at other outlets. I knew the moment I officially resigned would be when my boss asked to have a private sit-down with me to discuss the, quote, unfortunate late-night incident, unquote. And that moment arrived in mid-September. As soon as he asked to have that meeting, I printed out the resignation letter I had written a couple of weeks beforehand and placed it on his desk. He was completely shocked by my decision, to which I responded, well, this shouldn't come as a surprise at all. Aside from my boss's narcissistic mindset, one of the many reasons why he was probably surprised at my decision to resign was he had no clue that in addition to emotionally abusing me, he had sexually harassed me multiple times and regularly violated my personal space. This is what I mean when I talk about the nebulous, quote, gray area, unquote. My boss never sexually or physically assaulted me, but he had a social ineptitude that veered to more toward the inappropriate than the harmless. But since these actions remained in the indecipherable gray area, it was impossible for me to ever hold him accountable. And as all this occurred in the pre-hashtag MeToo era, no one, whether it was my boss's superiors or the HR department, wanted to bother addressing what they saw as harmless behavior. But his behavior wasn't harmless. My boss had a tendency to playfully touch my knee and call me babe. Whenever I made it quite clear that these gestures and comments were unwelcome, my displeasure went over this guy's head. Once, I wore this really cool t-shirt with intricate skull art. My boss decided to place his face two inches from my breasts in order to better inspect the shirt's design. This was common behavior for my boss, whether it was to get a better look at someone's computer screen or intricate skull art on a t-shirt. No one except me ever recoiled or attempted to complain 
at his constant personal space violations. He truly saw nothing wrong with deeply leaning into my desk so we were almost cheek to cheek for a work-related conversation. Part of the problem was that no one else, at least to my knowledge, ever tried to confront him about the concept of personal space. Any time I would take a few steps backward to create a more comfortable space between us, he would take a few steps closer. Even one saying to me, I don't have cooties. Um, ew. I do regret never reporting the knee stroking or the getting too close to my breasts incidents. I admit I was initially just too naive to realize both instances were harassment. So during the final two weeks of my Rolling Stone employment, things were even more awkward and uncomfortable than they had ever been, mainly because I was no longer afraid of standing up to my boss. With about a week left to go, my boss asked me again to have a private meeting. And at that point, I had no qualms about speaking the truth. I told him to his face that one of the many reasons why I was leaving my job was because I was no longer comfortable having private meetings with him out of eyesight and earshot of anyone else in the office. If he wanted to talk to me, he could do it right there in the middle of the office. From that moment on, he avoided interacting with me. So much so that on my last day of work, he called out sick. That's right. The same man who would always come into the office sick because he truly believed the office would fall apart without him. And once, and the same man who once implored me after I had called out sick to, quote, dig deep, unquote, and push myself to come into work despite, to quote my coworker that day, looking like paper. This man called out sick. A quick reminder that this was the 2010s, a.k.a. pre-COVID. If I'm being perfectly honest, I was relieved he had called out sick that day because the alternative would have been far worse. In the past, whenever anyone else had resigned from our department, my boss would make the departure speeches all about himself and ugly cry throughout the entire proceeding. My resignation brought out this guy's cowardice, his narcissistic behaviors, and his all-around toxic attitude. My last day at Rolling Stone filled me with a sense of empowerment, and I take pride in that, especially considering that on this same day, my boss didn't even have the courage to face me and say goodbye in person. Thank you for listening to more of my emotional abuse story on Emotional Abuse is Real. If you would like to share your own emotional abuse story here on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out at hello at sereneleads.com, by our Facebook page, Emotional Abuse is Real, or through Instagram at Serene Leads Rights. 
Please note that this podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional mental health services. If you are a victim of emotional abuse and need help, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988 or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 887-88. Once again, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Follow me on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you can, please support us through our Buy Me a Coffee page. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. 